0: Morning church. Great to see uh, all of you after several weeks away. Glad to be back uh, together. To uh, parents uh, in the room, if any of you would like some gospel-centered teaching that's directed toward the ages of your kids, feel free to head out now towards the back. And we're able, uh, starting today, to expand that because of the the work of uh, Megan and Mike. Thank you both. And um, a lot of uh, wonderful volunteers who've stepped up to serve more. So if you have kids younger than uh, first grade, we're now able to offer that as well. So you can head out through the back if you'd like to use that. Uh, please feel free to do so. Um, I've been, as Todd said, uh, away on sabbatical for a couple of weeks, and it was a fruitful time to to get out of town and uh, try to think ahead to this year, 2021, and, and pray and plan and Enjoy being outside some, so uh, but I missed you. It's really wonderful to be back together and to start out the new year uh, opening the Scriptures. Um, we are going to, in a couple of weeks, uh, begin a study through the book of Daniel. So if you're somebody who likes to read ahead, you might uh, begin reading the book of Daniel, as we'll spend uh, time, uh, several months, going through that book. That'll take February through May, it looks like at this point. Um, and that's mainly what I was working on as I was gone. Um, and I, when we decided five, six months ago to do that book, obviously we would never have uh, imagined uh, what happened this week in Washington, D.C. would have taken place here. Um, I think we tend to think, for those of us who are from here, that kind of stuff happens somewhere else, like on the other side of the world, but not right here in our own country. And the book of Daniel is going to be great at helping us think about uh, kings and kingdoms and how God is the one that's above all. He is the only king that has an everlasting kingdom. So we'll be wrestling through that together and uh, should be really helpful from a, um, an understanding of our own times uh, perspective. So again, if you're somebody who works ahead, go ahead and start reading Daniel. But for the month of January, Lord willing, we're gonna be uh, considering what the book of Proverbs uh, has to say about uh, topics uh, related to uh, the issue of money. So if you would turn with me uh, in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 12, where we'll begin uh, this series uh, together. And uh, to those of you online, I hope you'll use uh, a Bible and turn there, and, and thank you for tuning in. Hopefully, many of you can get vaccine and be able to come in person soon. You've been missed. So in Proverbs 12, uh, we're going to find a, a reality and we'll begin thinking about it today and we'll spend, Lord willing, as I said, the rest of the month of uh, January here. Uh, brothers and sisters, God has entrusted you with resources. And if we sort of skip past the sense that we might have of, yeah, I know that, I've heard that, and maybe slow down a little bit to really think about that fact for a moment. It's pretty amazing. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the, the creator and sustainer of everything, has given to each and every one of us that we might participate as His image bearers in using whatever He's given us for the common good. It's astonishing that God who manages everything is involved in our lives personally, individually, in such a way that that's true. And this entrustment begins, of course, with our very lives. Meaning, you you are alive because God wills it. You take another breath because He's involved and sovereign and is sustaining you. That's the work of Jesus. And each day is therefore to be used as a gift from God. And if that's true of the fact that we're alive physically, then it's true of everything that we have and everything that we do. Our bodies, our time, our skills, our relationships, these are all gifts from God entrusted to us that we would use them to make much of Him and to help each other and to bless the world. One of the key resources that God entrusts us with is money. Our interactions with money and possessions, although they may not feel like it to you often, are deeply spiritual in nature. Our credit cards and these things that we used to interact with a lot, coins, uh, these are not just physical objects. They are uh, an intimate part of living out a life of godliness. The relationship we have to what we have is one ultimately of stewardship, not ownership. And what I mean is, everything ultimately is God's. We manage what He entrusts to us. And so, consequently, the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. And uh, many times over the last several years, we've begun the year Uh, thinking together about money, and we want to do so again this year. We'll be considering four topics, four commands, if you will, over the next several weeks. We will look at, in particular, what the book of Proverbs has to say, what wisdom provides us with on the topic of work and giving and saving and spending. The Bible says much more about money, but in terms of how we get it, and what we're to do with it. That's a pretty good summary of what we're told to do. We're to work, we're to give, we're to save, we're to spend. My hope is, uh, as one of your pastors, that we would be able to provide you with some theological handles this month, that then you could work out how these principles apply in your own individual circumstance through uh, small groups, gospel communities, discipling relationships, uh, meeting up with somebody who's mentoring you or you're mentoring. Because the the principles are pretty broad, but how they are worked out in our lives will need to be fleshed out in conversation. We'll be using this book of Proverbs as our guide. And so, Lord willing, we'll simply be asking, like this Sunday, for example, what wisdom does God give us in the book of Proverbs about work? Then next week, what wisdom does God give us in the book of Proverbs about giving and saving and uh, spending? Frankly, our relationship with money is often fraught with difficulties, with disappointment, with um, heartache, with mistakes. And since this relationship is one of management, not ownership, it's so important as we start a new year together as a church family to consider what does God say? about this thing we interact with every single day. There's a massive amount of material out there. and A lot of it's pretty good. But for Christians, our final source of authority is not Dave Ramsey or what our accountant says, but rather is God as he's revealed himself in his word. He's given us a to-do list, if you will. What are we to do with money? Or we're to work for it, we're to give it, save it, and spend it. So for today, we'll simply start with the topic of work. For the vast majority of us, work is the God-given means of provision for meeting the material needs that we have. In other words, this is how God has set things out in order to provide for us. By work... I'm referring here specifically to employment. There's other kinds of work, of course. Important work. Work like cleaning your house or apartment, or tending the yard, or raising kids, or serving in the church, getting physical exercise, cooking, being a stay-at-home mom. All of these things require a diligence, discipline, hard work. And I don't mean in any way to minimize them. But for our purposes in this series... We're going to be thinking about labor done in our occupations. So let me just go right through the front door and tell you what I want to try to persuade you of today. And the principle is this. Work is not a necessary evil, but a worthy good. So labor diligently. Work is not a necessary evil, but a worthy good. So labor diligently. That's a fair summary of what the Bible says, in particular what the book of Proverbs says about employment. Now I want to jump into this with you in chapter 12, and we're going to look at two positives or two commendable things the book says about work, and then we'll sort of turn the coin over, and we'll consider two negatives, two things the Proverbs give us as warnings. But let's start with the positive, okay? So look at verse 14, if you would. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. This proverb is telling us that hard work yields positive results. Now, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, you you probably remember that it's uh, written with masculine language. The reason for that is the Proverbs were written as a father talking to his son. There are instructions about how the world works, how to live wisely in the world. And yet we know certainly that this applies to men and women as well. Hard work yields positive results. This proverb, like all the rest of them, state what is generally true about how things work in the world. Speak wisely, and you'll be satisfied with what you've said. Work hard, and it will come back to you. There's a certain reciprocity in how God's wired the world such that our words and our actions will bear fruit. The way we would more commonly talk about this is that we would say you reap what you sow. We can expect that if we work hard, then we'll live with the consequences of that and they'll be positive. And if we don't work hard, we'll live with the consequences of that. But we'll come back to that in a few minutes. The results of our speech and deeds will return to us commensurately. And so, beloved, when you labor at your job this week, you can do so with the confidence that the work of your hand will return to you. At the most basic level... This means, of course, that if you show up and fulfill the expectations of your job, then you should expect to get paid. The the labor will bring about a commensurate, appropriate compensation. That is God's way, principally, to provide for food for your table and for a roof over your head. The basic needs of life are met through the labors of our hands. And, friends, this isn't just the way the world works. No, this is how God made the world to work. It's good and right. It's how God intends it to be. Ordinarily, through the labors of our hands, God meets our material needs. And yet, isn't it true that there's more ways that this proverb applies than just money? There's more fruit that comes as a result of diligence. Of hard work. There's delight in finishing a big project. Have you ever had something that stretched out for months and you finally reached the end? It was done. That feels really good, doesn't it? There's great character growth that happens through daily persevering. I've never experienced this myself, but I've heard there's joy in an empty inbox. There's satisfaction in a job well done. These are all things that come. They're a way that our work returns to us. One of the things that's probably been uh, the most difficult for many of us in terms of work during the pandemic has been that we've lost the camaraderie of the workplace. There's, There's this sense of being part of something that's bigger than just us as individuals, in which we have shared goals and we have... A collective effort to accomplish something. And when you're stuck alone, only doing your little part, it's it's hard to see that. So ordinarily, that's something we experience. That's part of the work returning to us. So church, at the end of your workday tomorrow, I would encourage you, before you just rush to what's next, that you take just a couple of minutes and you read this proverb again. For the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good. From the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Read it. And then pray that God would help you to see how did that bear itself out in your life during the day tomorrow. Maybe something surprising will come to mind. Maybe something you think about regularly will come to mind. I don't know. The way the Proverbs work is, they're not particularly complex, but they're easy to read and sort of feel like you've you've read a Christian fortune cookie. But in reality, there are things that are meant to be pondered, to consider, to wrestle with. And so ask God tomorrow at the end of the day, God, how is it that my work today came back to me? And then think about it, meditate on it. Remember, as you do so, that Proverbs are not universal promises. They're general principles. In other words, you might ask that tomorrow, and you may not have an answer. It may be that tomorrow is a day that you can't readily see. Oh, this is a way my work has returned to me. It won't always work the way the Proverb articulates But most days you'll be able to identify some way in which diligent labor came back to you. And this is something to thank God for. That God has created a world in which our labors yield not only provisions for us, but privileges and blessings as a result of hard work as well. Now let's move on and consider a a second positive the book of Proverbs gives in relationship to work. So jump with me, if you would, all the way to chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 29. You'll notice this sermon and definitely this series doesn't work the way we normally operate. We'll normally start chapter 1, verse 1, and work our way sequentially through a whole book. You can read Proverbs that way, of course, but the way Proverbs needs to be uh, gathered together in order to really grasp what the book is saying as a whole is, is to consider a topic and then to look across the book for how the book Addresses that topic, so that's what we'll be doing. So, Proverbs chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-nine says this: "Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men." Friends, this is teaching us that hard work is prized. This proverb, I think, is pretty fun to actually consider and and flesh out. It's a truism about how things work in our day-to-day lives. Brothers and sisters, the proverb is saying, if you give yourself to being alert, to being apt, to being ready in the workplace, and if over time you become experienced in your craft, or whatever your job duties require, then you can expect that there will be a recognition and a respect that naturally follow. But competence and diligence ordinarily are noticed and rewarded. But that's how God made things to work. Christian, whether you work by uh, putting groceries in a plastic sack or sitting in front of a computer typing programming so that all the rest of us can do our work on the programs you write, whether you teach science to teenagers or make hundreds of calls in a call center, whether you tend the sick as a nurse or serve meals as a waitress. Hard work is honorable. You work hard when you're at work knowing that God has so wired things that generally speaking, you can expect over time as you get better and better at it, that work will be rewarded. We Christians understand that we're to develop an aptitude Not just in spiritual things like reading our Bibles, but in spiritual things like doing our jobs. We don't want to be people who do the minimum just to get by. No, we want to be people who are present, who are positive, who are intent on watching for how we can further develop. Be not content with something being good enough. Whatever it is God's given you to do, even if it's not the dream thing job you always wanted. Wisdom says, do the best of your God-given abilities, trusting that God will use your work for his good and you will be recognized for it. And as you do, know that at some point that work will be rewarded. Of course, God sees and God knows. That's the most important thing. And yet this proverb is pointing out that typically others will see and know too. Now, do uh, politics and selfish bosses in the workplace sometimes impede this proverb being true in all places? Yes, of course. In a fallen world, things don't always work the way they're supposed to. Sometimes the promotions or raises in the workplace go to the wrong people. Sometimes you work hard and your company gets bought out and you lose your job. Sometimes pandemics hit and decimate entire industries. Sometimes you got to do some work that's much lower than your abilities. Sometimes... Other people take credit for good work that ought to have been rewarded to you. This proverb is not saying none of those things will ever happen. However, it remains the norm that those who are skillful at their jobs will customarily experience meaningful recognition and reward. Again, the book of Proverbs is different than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is a universal promise. All people everywhere who believe in Jesus will be saved. Amen? That's true of everyone everywhere. And yet, Proverbs is in our Bibles, but it's to be read a different way. Proverbs, as a genre, is meant to be understood as general principles that are customarily true. Not always, but usually. It's a different kind of literature. It remains the norm, as I said. If you become skillful at your work, you will be rewarded for it. What, what kind of notice or rewards might come? Well, I listed a few. It might come, that recognition might come in the form of job stability in the middle of a really uncertain time. Friend, if you still have work right now, I hope you feel that as though it is a reward, as though it's a blessing. There are millions of people around our country and around the world who do not have work and want it. So it might come in the form of job stability. It could come with increased responsibilities. If you're faithful with a little, chances are you're going to be given more. And that's a good thing. It could come in the form of more freedom as to when or or where you work or what kinds of things you're working on. It could come in the form of expanded influence or perhaps even... A promotion that could lead you to a different kind of work or even to a different company. So, beloved, the book of Proverbs tells us while we are at work, we should work well. And we ought to, by God's grace, with humility and patience, know that skilled work will not go unnoticed, unappreciated, or without benefit. And of course, Uh, Brothers and sisters, if you are in a position of any kind of leadership at your work, then this proverb would apply to you in a particular way. In a way that's different than if you are a, a subordinate. If you are in any kind of responsibility that you look after others and supervise them, you would do well this morning to consider how you've been leading your people. Do you work in such a way that your main concern is yourself? Or do you tend to entrust those entrusted to you back to God? Do you look for ways to take the credit for what they do? Or are you careful that those on your team who do good work are known to be people who do good work? You hear the difference? Don't treat people like machines who merely pump out products. Treat them as, as people who have been entrusted to you. That as they work hard, they ought to be known as people who work hard. These are image bearers of God and their work reflects something of who he is. When they work with sustained aptitude and skill, take notice. And as a supervisor, look for whatever ways you can Commend them, reward them, bless them, enhance their reputation. Not to help yourself get ahead, but simply to honor God and what he says is wise in terms of the way we live. Now there's a lot more positive the book says, the book of Proverbs says about work, but that's a pretty good summary. That gets us at the the very heart of what the book says about work from a positive perspective. Work is a blessing. It's, it's not a curse. Worse, work is commendable. It's good. It's right. And it comes with its natural, understandable, appropriate rewards. The Rewards begins with the compensation that comes, but that's not all. Now, the book of Proverbs also has some warnings for us or some negatives that it says... In relationship to our work. So, if you would jump with me all the way back to chapter 6, and we'll look at not one proverb, but a series of them in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. These uh, warnings are strong. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O slugger? When will you arise from your sleep? And then there's two proverbs here that are repeated many times in the book. It says in verse 10, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. Church, some of the most controversial and confrontational and severe words in the book of Proverbs are reserved not for murderers or rapists, but for lazy people. If that surprises you, I'd encourage you to take the next 30 days to read through the book. You could simply start with today's the 10th Read Proverbs 10 later today, 11 tomorrow, 12 the next day, and keep going through the book. What you'll see is that there are frequent rebukes for the sluggard and the slothful, and there are frequent commendations for the diligent. So here's the principle that Proverbs 6 gives us. Sustained laziness is harmful to us personally. Sustained laziness is harmful to us personally. Even as ants must work to survive, so must human beings. If we could put it very directly, friend, if you are of age and you are able to work to meet your needs, then you must do so, or you will reap the natural result, which is unmet needs. A failure to work will be a failure to meet the needs that you have. But maybe you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is just one more example of Old Testament mean God. I'm so thankful I live in the New Testament, nice God era. But friends, the New Testament puts it even more strongly. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, for even when we were with you we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Friends, sustained laziness is harmful to you personally. Christians of all people ought to know that slothfulness is not only morally wrong, it also comes with inevitable, personal, disastrous consequences. Instead of reaping the results of chronic lethargy, wisdom says, consider the ants. And as silly as that sounds, think about the, the metaphor that's being used. Though small in size, though they lack an HR department, those little suckers work and work and work and work and work. And they make it all Winter. That's this time of year when it's cold and the stuff falls down from the sky. We don't have one of those here. But ants make it way beyond what they should be able to because they know I've got to work today if I will make it through tomorrow. Friend, if you're prone to laziness at work, I want to encourage you today to repent. And to ask God to help you become as industrious as an ant. Because if you don't, inevitably those consequences will eventually come. And they will take a long time to resolve. The results won't be pretty. But the other negative or the other warning I want to point out in the book of Proverbs about work is that not only will laziness affect you personally, but it also has much broader implications because laziness is harmful not only to you personally, it's harmful to the whole community. Proverbs 18 verse 9 says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. What does that mean? Well, church, this is hard to hear. Especially if you're on the younger end of the scale, you really need to hear this. Chronically lazy people bring harm not only to themselves, but to society at large. Like the robber who destroys the peace of society and takes the property of others, those who refuse to work bring hardship on the entire community. Now, you really don't need me to tell you that, you know it. But a lot of what's pumped out today to teens and 20s is very wrong. Let's think of it in a very practical sense. This proverb is most easily seen in group projects in school. Do You remember those? So the teacher says to the high school student, we're going to do a group project this semester, and what do you do? Yeah, you get a little vomit in your mouth, don't you? That's because you know if there are four people assigned to a group project, how many people are going to do the work? (laughs) I hope it's not zero. It's going to be one, maybe two. What's up with that? Well, what's up with that is sometimes people are lazy and slothful and they expect others to do for them what they ought to do for themselves. That moaning you just so quickly, audibly gave is multiplied out not only in the high school classroom, but in all of life. Brothers and sisters, some of us need to sort of pull up a chair and sit down in this truth. Society doesn't owe you anything. God has not wired the world in such a way that simply by existing you're supposed to have possessions and food. That wasn't his design. You're not owed anything. Work is how God designed life such that our needs would be met. Now, of course, if you have a, a serious chronic illness or You were disabled in some way. Or if you're of an age that working full-time or even part-time is no longer possible, then you're not sinning by working. And there may be periods of time in which you're caring for an ailing parent, for example, and you have to live off of what you've saved because there's simply not enough time. There, There might be periods, and in fact for many of us will be points in which a normal employment is simply not possible. But these are exceptions. They're not the norm. And society in general, and the church in particular, will take care of those who can't work. That's part of the great responsibility we have to each other as a family of God. And that if there's one among us who really can't, literally cannot take care of their own needs, then it's our responsibility to lift them up and to provide for them because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? But that's not not normal. Meaning, we shouldn't expect that all of us would find that our needs are being met in that way. The exceptions simply demonstrate the norm. Those who can work to meet their needs must do so. Because those who refuse to do so bring harm not only on themselves, but they pull society as a whole down. Now these four passages that we've looked at together, this is just a small sampling of what the book of Proverbs says about work, but it does give us the sense of the book as a whole. We've considered work from the positive. What's good about it? What does God promise generally come? What are the principles that we can expect to be at play? And what are the negatives? What are some warnings? Wisdom commands hard work. Wisdom says that hard work is prized. Wisdom says that suffering comes upon those who do nothing and expect everything. Wisdom teaches that work is, is not a necessary evil to grind your teeth and get, just get through. It's a privilege. But why are these things so? I'll say that maybe in a slightly different way. What would make this sermon a Christian sermon? I mean, so far, most everything I've said could be said on a, a YouTube entrepreneurial workshop having nothing to do with God at all. At least that's the way people might think of it. Much of what I've said could be said in a mosque or in a Hindu temple or in a synagogue. So what is a Christian perspective on work? I want to spend our remaining couple of minutes thinking with you about that. Because we all are, after all, Christians. There is a, 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 a foundation, if you will, underneath Proverbs. That is so important for us to remember because it's what makes the Proverbs true. And we can't get past the first two chapters of the Bible without coming face to face with the reality upon which the Proverbs are built. You see, the biblical story in Genesis chapter 1 begins with a God who is a worker. You ever thought about Genesis 1 like that? God, the opening Words of the Bible tell us that God is a God who works. The story begins with God working as the creator. The physical world, indeed the whole cosmos, is the handiwork of a God who's not idle. No, he's productive. He gets stuff done. As you work your way from Genesis 1, especially into Genesis 2, you'll find that a working God creates people who will work. That an aspect of being made in God's image, that integral to what is human, is that God put us here to work as stewards of what He began. Now if you think I'm stretching it, here on the screen you'll see Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. You see, the original design of God when he created Adam and Eve was that he placed them in a place in which they were to work and cause an ever-expanding of Eden to happen around the world. As Adam and Eve were fruitful and multiplied, they were to tend the Garden and expand its borders such that eventually the whole world will be filled with and subdued. Brothers and sisters, right from the opening pages of the Bible, we learn that there's dignity to work. That there's an honor and joy in being productive. Because that's what God is like. Part of what it means to be human beings made as representatives of God is that we would work for the common good. That we'd be diligent to whatever our hands give themselves to. Because in so doing, we mirror the likeness of God. What a beautiful truth. Can you imagine how different the coming week would be for you if at the start of each workday, devotionally, you reminded yourself of that truth? And you pre- preferred to think about work in those terms. And you looked at your coworkers as people who are doing the same thing regardless of if they're Christians or not. I think it's a really beautiful truth. The pleasure of a clean floor mopped well. Unless you slip on it. The, the joy of a mutually beneficial contract that finally gets signed. The the satisfaction of seeing a student you've taught get it. These are echoes of the pleasure God himself felt when he saw what he's made and he said it is good. But let's take it one step further. Let's ground all of this in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3 says that whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Church, the Bible works progressively, meaning in the beginning, there are things that don't fully disclose all there is to know about that issue. And over time, it becomes clearer and clearer. That's called progressive revelation. So when Jesus Christ came in his first coming, he came as the full, final revelation of who God is. And so, of course, in reading the Gospels, we see aspects of who God is more clearly than we see in the Old Testament. That's true, certainly, of work here. In Genesis 1 and 2, we're told, That as you work, you are imaging God. That's not the only way, but it is a way. Then that fleshes itself out in Proverbs with these general principles about what we should expect when it comes to work. But when we get into the pages of the New Testament, we see that as long as whatever job we're doing is not sinful, then our tasks are being done ultimately for the Lord. That He sees, that He knows, that He cares that it's pleasing to Him. However little our part might be, we work for the King. That's amazing. One book I read to help me prepare for this week is uh, written by uh, a pastor and a missionary. Here's what they say about this. No matter what you do, your job has inherent purpose and meaning because you're doing it ultimately for the king. Who you work for is more important than what you do. The world tells you that, you'll, that life finds its meaning in success at work or that work is just a necessary evil on the path to leisure. All those ways of thinking are lies. You do work for someone beyond your boss. You work for Jesus. Now, Here's where I want to bring us all the way down into the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what makes this a Christian sermon. Brothers and sisters, the only way to work like that, the only way to do your work as for the Lord and not for men, the only way to work for a boss who doesn't always apply the Proverbs equitably, is to do so remembering that Jesus' work on our behalf is already a completed work. Because Jesus' work is done, our work doesn't have to be. Because Jesus' work is complete, we can be content on the days that the Proverbs are bearing themselves out bountifully, and the days they're not. Because Jesus is our Savior, we are already justified, accepted, adopted, forgiven. We're loved with perfect love. We are completely secure. And that means regardless of what happens at work, we're okay. We're not only okay, we have the life of God within us. Because Jesus' work of redemption is complete, We are freed from the perils of seeking love, meaning, and acceptance through our work. And we're freed from the laziness that would display we feel we have no worth. In Jesus Christ, we are secure. In Jesus Christ, we can work hard because we've been freed from the kind of hard work that slaves for what you can't get from work. Work is not a necessary evil, but a worthy good. So in the strength that God supplies by the Spirit He's placed within you because you are in Christ Jesus this week, labor diligently, ultimately for the King. Let's pray. Father, it might feel weird to people to hear a sermon on work, and yet work occupies for most of us uh, the majority of a week. Thank you that in your kindness, your scriptures directly speak to this. And we pray that in all the ways that this could apply to us, you would help us individually to see it and then to flesh that out in our conversations as church members. We thank you that because Jesus' work on the cross is finished, it's done, it's complete, that we're freed from the enslavement of overwork and underwork. We pray in the coming days that as we seek to self-consciously work for Jesus Christ, we'd experience great joy in it. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Pastor Chuck. Such a helpful and practical way to start a new year. Um, We're so grateful that you're back and preaching God's Word to us. Um, Church, this is the time in our gathering we normally take up our offering, and I would just remind you that you could do so on your way out in those black boxes in the back, or you can go online to our website as well. I have just two announcements before we conclude our gathering. The first is that this Wednesday we're going to be starting up Psalms and prayers again, which is really exciting. Um, As a church family, we really believe in the power of God's Word to transform lives. And we also believe that God's Word leads us to prayer, into um, the very presence of God who listens to his people. That's why we're gonna be gathering here in, on Wednesday nights in this room at 7 p.m. to do just that. Um, we'll be spending 30 minutes covering a psalm and then 30 minutes in prayer. And I'd really encourage you to come check that out this semester if you haven't already. And then secondly, um, sign-ups for both next week's gatherings um, and then psalms and prayers will be going out in the next couple days. Um, by signing up ahead of time, you help ensure that we can continue to gather safely. Um, so when you see that email, just sign up real quick, um, pick a gathering, sign up for Psalms and Prayers. It'll really help us continue to prioritize gathering together. Um, if you're tuning in online right now, I just want to remind you that after this, there'll be a Q&A, so send in those last-minute questions. If you're here in the room, you can do that as well. Um, you can catch the Q&A um, if you're interested in that. If you go subscribe to our YouTube channel, the church's YouTube channel, that'll be posted later in the week, and then you can get some additional information from the sermon as well. So that's it. Would you stand now and let's end our gathering by reading God's word. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. This side, you guys are dismissed. If you're here in the middle, you guys can follow behind them. And then if you're here on the last side, you guys are all dismissed. Thank you.
0: I'm playing right. today.